Hockey Talk, the podcast for the TheMediaByUs.com. Joining me today is Chris. Hello. TJ. Yo. And we have a special guest today. We have Al. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> We've referenced him multiple times. And friend of the podcast. Yeah. Real made friends. And I we... am that friend of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not friends in real life. <laughs> Lord, no. So on today's podcast, we're going to talk about our homework from last week, which was We Are the Best, and then uh, go into our special main topic. Yeah. First, we'll talk about uh, We Are the Best, or in Swedish, We Are Best. <laughs> it's like a Beauty and the Beast song. <laughs> you signed it, right, David? I signed it. So yeah, I think it's a 2013 Swedish movie by directed by Lucas Moodyson. <laughs> Confirmed. That, that actually is. You don't have to think that. Yep. And a little background. It's based on a graphic novel by his wife. Coco Moodyson, <laughs> um, about growing up in Stockholm as a uh, outcast punk back in the 80s. So that's kind of what the movie is. It's about three young gals in Sweden that uh, form a band. I don't think we ever get the band's name, do we? Uh, they start writing it down on the sheet at one point, but they mm-hmm. only write the first word. And it's like, I can't remember, it's like... I think the first word's like snuggle, maybe, or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that, but you mm-hmm. don't see the second word that they write down, and then you never get the band called by name, so it's just, just called a girl band. Yeah, it's just left to the unknown. Whoa, whoa, Chris, they're not a girl band. <clears throat> yeah, that's all that's what they call them. Yeah, at first I thought that the, I heard uh, Iron Fist in the, the non-Swedish, I was like, <laughs> oh, their band's name is Iron Fist. I was like, no, that's the terrible boy band. Yeah, that's the, like, proto-metal band. Yeah. That's, yeah. like, yeah, hogging the space. So we'll start off uh, just general impressions. What did you guys think of it? Oh, it was alright. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought it was great. I glad it was like assigned for homework, and I did the homework um, <laughs> uh, because it's probably like a movie I never would have found, you mm-hmm. know, otherwise. So I was really glad that I found it um, at all. But I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, I thought it was, um, I thought it was really good. Uh, but that's, it's right in my wheelhouse. Sort of mm. like, you know, realism, not necessarily like kitchen sink realism, but that kind of slice of life. And it doesn't get too stereotypical about everything else. You know, like people aren't tropes. They're not. The parents in it weren't written as like these like overbearing parents. You know, they were just like you get these little vignettes of them in their life and they feel real. So I enjoyed it for that. Yeah. I really like this. Yeah. Movie. My favorite. Oh, true. My favorite part of it was just how authentic it feels. Not just like the, you know, the characters are feel authentic they just feel like three girls they don't really seem like they're acting that much but it's also authentic to it seems like a viewpoint that kids have back in the day and it's not just the viewpoint of like an adult telling you what it was like to be a kid opposite of you know i think it's a great movie but stand by me i feel clearly is like an adult looking back on his life is the it's like the framework of that movie right yeah and like you tell the story differently when you're from that point of view yeah yeah, there's, I mean, you're right. There's a tendency, like, when you reminisce, you reminisce about the good and the bad things, you mm-hmm. know, like, both ends of the scale, and I think this one was, like, right down the middle. You don't really reminisce about the good or the bad things, or even the good or the bad things, like, when they fight over, like, the 12-year-old boy, you know, mm-hmm. silly, mm-hmm. stupid fight, but it's more, like, how people are in life, you know, about how they would react to that, because that happens all the time. That's what comes between friends. So... It wasn't like looking back with nostalgia. It was definitely from their point of view. Right. Or framing it like this is the the story and if we all learned a lesson here. 
It's just kind of a real slice of life of this was some kind of a cornerstone memory. It's not necessarily like we learned a big lesson. It's just like this is what it was like. Yeah. They were really like, they weren't like, you didn't go real in deep with all the characters except for maybe um, Bobo. I don't mm. know if I'm pronouncing any of their names correctly because they're Swedish. And so, so they pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> Bobo. spell Bobo. Bobo, but there's always slight inflections to all their names. Right. But hers, you got like more of her on a almost like panoply of her emotions Mm -hmm. and like the others you didn't get so much they weren't really one notes but they were just a few notes um the Hedvig girl you didn't get as much of her but Mm -hmm. you got more of like an emotional like range with Bobo so it was um more so the main girl it opened with her so yeah yeah I would guess she's the lead yeah. Um, she had kind of an arc, and I think even though you didn't have a ton of her, Hedvig had her own arc of like opening up and yeah. having friends. The weird thing is, like, I think um, Clara, Clara is is maybe the most charismatic of the three, but she's oh, kind definitely. of just like is like the fierce Bueller throughout. Mm. She's just Clara, yeah. and then everyone yeah. around her kind of grows. Yeah, and you can sort of see their motivations. You can see Clara's, like, really influenced by her older brother and, Mm -hmm. you know, is trying to... It feels like you can almost make up your own story that she's, like, trying to follow in him and his love of punk music. But now he likes Joy Division, so fuck him. That was pretty fucking funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You just listen to Joy Division now. (laughs) But it's really, for me, it was like a movie about these young girls, like, finding their identity. And it's about... That weird time in your life in your adolescence where you're not really like a teenager and you think like nobody gets you and nobody understands you and you don't really know where you're going and you grasp on to things like that. And I think probably in 1982, like punk rock was an easy thing to grasp onto to find identity, Mm -hmm. you know, and like people go to music to find identity all the time. So it's kind of like a timeless movie. In that sense, it yeah. didn't feel like it was in 1982. Did it feel like it was in 1982 mm-hmm. to you guys? No, well, only only with reference to the music, right? But that's it. But the you know the traditional punk goes in waves, so it could have been like right, you know, 1996. Yeah, I also appreciated DC like, scene or something. It didn't like hit you over the head with the fact that it was in 1982. Mm-hmm. You know, you see like a movie that's set in the 70s or set in the early 80s, and they I have to show you by like. These things I'm gonna place into the movie. We have to show like a newsreel where they're talking about, or like they have to drive a car that would be typify it, or like the worst is like even worse where it like shows its hand that it's trying to be clever. I forget what movie I was I was watching, but they're like watching a uh, Ronald Reagan movie like in the 70s, and some dumb thing like. Oh, he's not never going to be a leader. I've seen that recently too. But uh, yeah, I thought it was like it may have been that it was in Sweden also because like Sweden sort of just yeah because how they like Sweden how they were dressed you know eighties clothing is usually the big giveaway but it's like I couldn't really tell if it was like two thousand eight in Sweden yeah that's how like, right. yeah. it's, it's like, like well, it's cold there that's how the everybody dressed and let the right one in yeah <laughs> they all look like that the movie was set in like two thousand nine in Sweden. <laughs> Well, you know, they always like, wear fur jackets. <laughs> no, also, the you know neckerchief game too. Yeah, everybody. You know the architecture of suburbia. Like everything's kind of this bland sort of everything. Even the apartments sort of look like office buildings. Yeah. So I don't know if like yeah. that. It helped. feels like uh, all the houses in the recording space and everything 
could have all been the same house. Like, I really could have filled a bit off of that. They all seemed like just rooms off of the same house. Yeah, like yeah. the youth center, too. Yeah. Seems like they could have just walked upstairs in the apartment, and that's where the youth center is. Yeah. Yeah, it almost, like, a certain scenes almost gave me, like, this feel for, like, Woody Allen movies, where he just shoots them in his living room. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, from the opening shot, where it's, like, sitting around for the mom's, like, 40th birthday party, and friends gathered around this table. Kind of like, sort of feels like Woody Allen-esque in the sense of, you know, that run in the in the 80s where he's just, like, filming all these movies in, um, in the interiors of, like, uh, there you go. Like in, yeah, like interiors. But in, uh, I, let's just go over to your apartment and make a movie. It kind of had that, that feel in certain spots to me. What do you guys think about the, uh, there's kind of a real subtle, it doesn't hit you over the head, well maybe it does, but the kind of finding your own female empowerment thing in it, and as four dudes we're probably the least qualified to talk about this. <laughs> no, I got it. But I, I will say, you know, there was some, uh, you know, we look at the Facebook groups for topics, there's two ones I kind of did a cross-section for choosing this movie. One was uh, movies with, you know, music movies, and one was things about female empowerment. <laughs> the person said because it'd be funny to get you guys to talk about that. <laughs> but I like that the it didn't really have a the Norma Ray moment or something in it. It was yeah. kind of just them. I don't know. I think their their big moment is at the end where they stand up for themselves on the stage. Yeah, Clara. And in the bus. Yeah, but also the the fight about them being labeled a girl band. Yeah, yeah. And they're like incredulous that somebody would call them that. They're like gobsmacked. You know, they're like, wait a minute, we're just a band. Why are you calling us a girl band? We're a band first. And I think that's been like, it's, you know, from what I understand, that's like always been the uphill battle, Mm -hmm. you know, for like women in music is to be taken seriously. I'm using air quotes. We want to be thought of as like a rock and roll band first or a punk band first. And then it doesn't matter what our gender is. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the Riot Girl stuff in the 90s. Like, they were just, like, mm-hmm. punk rock music. Not punk rock, but, like, that cross-section. And then there there had to be, like, a, you know, a tag for it because there were females. Yeah. But, I, you know, to, to your point when they say, like, we're not a we're not a girl band. So just, like, how matter-of-fact that was. Mm-hmm. Rather than the music swelling or yeah. something. I like, love... All I'll, looking and, like, in themselves and they glow with power all of a sudden. I, lo- I love their retort to it, too. Like, we could have a boy in the band. Mm-hmm. That's the absolute qualifier. Like, so what if we're three girls in a band? We could have a boy and still be someone could have a boy in a band and still be a girl band. Or adding a boy or like being a girl doesn't make you one type of band. They're they're typified by their music, mm-hmm. not by the makeup of the artists. Sure, uh, if you can call anyone but Hedvig an artist, <laughs> as far as their musical prowess is concerned. Hedwig was pretty good, though. I was, I was, I was really impressed that your big moment is supposed to be this, this uh, fuck Vastenin or what? Vastenin's name. <laughs> Vasteras, I think. Yeah, Vasteras yeah. Vastelis. I didn't look it up, but I'm guessing it's like you know whatever the the south is or the country. Yeah, of Sweden. Oh but, yeah, they totally. It's like them. they were basically hicks, you know. Yeah, they yeah. had come from Stockholm out there to play. But that's like, such that's the perfect punk thing. That, right. That's what you do. Yeah, but my my favorite part about it is that like. There wasn't this building's Roman, like, now they're amazing musicians. Mm-hmm. Like, she still was awful on bass guitar. Yeah. Like, they were still out of time, you know. The uh, Hedwig was fine, but, like, their song was still awful. There wasn't this, and we're probably going to talk about it later, wasn't this, like, Sing Street moment where, like, all these pieces fit together perfectly at the end, and, you know, it's this masterpiece. 
It was, right. you know, really rough, which is what punk music was in the 80s. It was, like, really rough. Anyone who was angry and could, like, afford an instrument or borrow a friend's, you just, like, stood on stage and you thrashed on it. And you just, like, yelled things like, Reagan Khrushchev, or Reagan Brezhnev, fuck you. You know? <laughs> That's... Yeah. And I kind of like, uh, you know, to your point about being honest to punk, that the final scene isn't them all of a sudden, like, it clicks. Like, they go into the correct yeah. time signature, correct key. But what clicks for them is, like, the attitude. Like, yeah. they, they take control of the situation rather than, like, being overwhelmed by this overwhelmingly male audience, like, saying, calling them the C-word and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't have, like, the hokey ending where they, like, win the, the Battle of the Bands or something, yeah. or they put on this incredible show. Yeah, Iron you Fist know. doesn't come around to go like, oh, we were wrong about you. They still, like, think they're better than them and fall asleep in the back of the bus. And yeah. Even the mentors said, they said, we're the best. It's like, no, Iron Fist are best. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 you don't get it. This movie is called We Are the Best. Um, it's another one where the title is spoken in the uh, yeah in the movie. And, then it's, and it's even in the, like, postscript as a... Uh, we are still the best. I think they were right at the end. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about three things. It's not on, on a topic, but uh, my favorite moments. We were talking about the parents earlier, and I love that they didn't typecast Clara's family as like angry parents mm-hmm. who are mad at Clara for her mohawk and her punk rock ways. You know, there was a range to them. So my first favorite moment was when the dad comes in after they kind of uh, <laughs> they get Clara to, oh, to, yeah. to cut her hair. Or not Clara, head big to cut her hair. And the dad's just like, she's threatening to call the cops. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Before that, I love that, like, you know, to your point, you have the dad, you know, they're they're practicing and stuff. The dad comes in not to yell at them, but, like, carries in a clarinet and said, can I jam with you? <laughs> no. It's like his underwear. Yeah. yeah, that was funny. Um, another moment is when they've had the fight in the street about, um, I forget his name, Ellis, from the uh, mm-hmm. other punk band from the country, and they're in the train, and Hedvig looks at, at Clara after Bubba says, I like you, finally, and they like she extends her hand to shake it, mm-hmm. and Clara gives her this look that I don't think that someone her age is supposed to be able to give someone, <laughs> the like, it's your fucking move now. Yeah. Uh, I screenshotted it and made it my uh, desktop for a little bit. <laughs> Her face. Did you like the the clarification for why they can listen to uh, Hang God to Hedvig? Uh, I thought that was really such funny. a great ar- argument. <laughs> hang God. <laughs> well, he has to be real if they want to hang him, so it's really a Christian yeah. song. Yeah. So, they, I mean, it was such a great philosophical argument for a 13 year old to use yeah you know like so basically they're saying god exists because there was be no way to like hang him otherwise yeah so they must be christian yeah you know yeah i thought that was great there were a couple of like laugh out loud moments yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, i i I caught my third uh and and favorite moment from the movie they have this you know they're telling Hedvig like what punk rock is and this is what we do and they're leaving the practice space after playing their song. They pick up the weird, like, bags of yarn. <laughs> and they get back. <laughs> Punk rock, fuck yeah. And then she gets a small cut on her hand and just melts down. And we see her as a 12-year-old girl again. But I don't want to die. Girl. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to die. Oh, my God, it won't stop bleeding. Now that was just a really funny juxtaposition in it. Yeah, that was a real tender moment where they're all, like triple hugging you yeah. know each other in the bathroom mm-hmm. it just I thought added to the you know, quality of the movie mm-hmm. so what do you think David of like the style almost like 
a documentary yeah, like, like the office point, cinema verite yeah. style i i was trying to think back on it it's very like uh not quite but kind of Lars von trier like what happens is what happens kind of thing like i didn't think that there was any montages which may be the first ever for a music movie <laughs> uh, they were i think the only one i can think of was one in the beginning like when they first went in mm-hmm. they just kind of like panned back and forth to them mm-hmm. like sucking and beating on the instruments and shit. oh yeah yeah, right. maybe they're, yeah. <clears throat> Never mind. But it was so, a weird place for a montage in a music movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't good. So there was a montage, so this movie sucks. <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't avoid kind of smirking at the crash zooms that felt like mm-hmm. John Krasinski's going to be in the background on one of these crash zooms and just kind of give a smirk to the camera. <laughs> it's neither here nor there, but they were very noticeable. Yeah. yeah. I picked up on a few of those. Yeah, I guess the style is that uh, a reading about the director. Like, I've never seen anything else that he's done, but that's not, that's sort of like his uh, go to thing is sort of a documentary feel. His most popular movie is called Show Me Love, and that was the same sort of feel to that movie from what I've read. Mm. But I, I, like, enjoyed it. I read one review where somebody likened it to sort of a behind the music. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I sort of get what you're saying but I don't know in totality that I get it you don't really, you know? I don't really um, see that I guess the them fighting over mm. like who's playing the bass and the drums things like that like the infighting behind it it was like instead of behind the music as a touchdown how about just like reminds me of like life yeah, <laughs> it's yeah like definitely. people have little like squabbles and stuff but they realize it's not that big and they move on I think yeah. that's that's behind the music yeah that's the point of the title <laughs> behind the music is there are people there but I'm living behind the music. <laughs> TJ, I'm curious why you're so lukewarm about it. This this feels like a TJ. Uh, Oops, wheelhouse. But it's the, the the feel good music movie. I mean, I definitely didn't think that the music was anything more than just like a vessel to tell the story. Yeah. Like I don't think the music was a big part of the movie at all. It wasn't to me. No, I don't it was, think it was, it was almost yeah. a bait and switch. Because I heard it was like a mostly like about music. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. They talked about punk music like non fucking stop, which I feel like Fight Club almost is like the one thing you should do about punk music is run around being like, yeah, punk, yeah. punk music, and like that's what they did. And it was just it, it kinda, also it also reminded. I feel like that was done to make you be like, all right, well they're not. They just want to fucking hang out and have fun, and you remind, know what I mean. Like, it, that's it. It reminded me a little bit of like when you're a kid and you want to start a band, all you do is talk about it. Yeah, and like the percentage of actually playing music. Or writing music to talking about the kind of music you're going to write is like 99 to 1. Yeah. Because like what's what's the end game when they're playing that, that venue at the other like right. youth, youth group? Yeah. Youth club, whatever they're called. Like they have one song. So they're going to play their one song and they go, alright, goodnight. Because they haven't right. written anything else. Like that's, that's all they've got. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, y'all, y'all may have these conversations when you were little, but when I would like fake start bands when I was little mm-hmm. and like the scene in the beginning when she's like writing the song and she's like abort abort and they're like wait and she's like you know like abort and she was like nobody's gonna get that <laughs> it's like it's like the opposite of what you should be if you're like a punk fan yeah just being like we can't write that nobody's gonna get it mm. like all this shit you've been listening to this entire time yeah you're gonna bitch about lyrics now it's, it's like so unpunk and that's where it kind of clicked with me like alright the punk thing means yeah dick yeah I think they're yeah. just grasping at straws they're outcasts and they like that music and they're just trying something. Well, yeah. I think it's an easy identity to assume. Mm-hmm. Because, like, punk, kind of, anyone can be a punk just by saying you're punk. Yeah. You know, you've almost, you're in the club. 
no one has to really like qualify you for anything. It's really an attitude more than it is, you know, like you have to necessarily take steps for it. So I think it's like an easy like identity to sort of uh, gravitate to. I mean, it's one of the hardest, it's one of the genres that has changed the most over the past like 30 years too. Right. Like punk in 79, like the first wave of punk compared to like punk like we think of compared to like bubblegum punk. Like, oh my God, it's so, you know, yeah, insanely different. I did think it was authentic, though. Like, the thing they were most focused on by being a punk band was how they looked. That seemed very, like, if you're a... I don't don't know that much about punk, but if you're, like, a surface kind of punk, that's that's the thing you focus on the most. It's also the thing you focus the most on if you're a 12-year-old girl, though. Yes. So, when I I was in high school, uh, one of the punks at the school uh, yelled at me across the courtyard one day, uh, punk's a lifestyle, not a fashion. And, you know, uh, Clara says that, basically. And now she's a baker. Yeah. <laughs> but Clara says that. They're talking about music and who they like better and whatever. She's talking to um, the, the balding kid in the other punk band. Uh, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Ba- not balding. He doesn't have hair. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yeah, she says, well, it's not really about the music, is it? And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Which is, that's the thing. Punk is a very easy life, not lifestyle. I don't want to use that again. It's, it's a very easy thing to pretend to be. But, you know, these other kids, they're like, we sleep here sometimes. You know, we don't, we don't have a place to go. We, we practice here. We sleep here. You know, what, what we do for fun, we play music, and, like, we go to the roof. Yeah. That's, that's it. Like, they're, they're, they're living that. Maybe not by choice, but, you know, they're, they're living that. Yeah. Are in the same clothes, they're photographed in, in that magazine article. Maybe because they're meeting the girls, maybe not. But they don't have a lot. They go around that abandoned... I think it's an abandoned school. I don't know what it is. Because they, like, crawl through that window. And it seems like it's an old building. But, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, lukewarm on the fact that I think it... If I have to say something bad about it, it's that it's just kind of forgettable. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a movie that's going to stick with me. It was a fun little story. It was fun. Really hard not to compare it to Sing Street. Right. And, they're. I mean, I hate doing that because they're not the same movie, but... It's just hard, hard not to. And Sing Street was just a lot. Sing Street is unforgettable to me. Yeah, yeah, but purposefully so. It's, it's that's not what I'm saying. I know they're different, that. but well, that's the thing. I mean, though. that's a, the fault of nobody's. I watched yeah. a movie that made me think of another movie because yeah, like, punk this, kids in the same yeah. era. You know what I mean? Like, like this movie. I guess it. I mean, I have no idea if it's going to stick with me. I thought it was interesting as a slice of life. It felt authentic, and uh, it's always fun to watch to watch these like matter of fact movies about like. Sweden in the 80s. Mm. It's like, I, I have no idea what this environment yeah. is about. Or like it's Ireland in the 80s. Yeah. They're, they're fun. Slice of Life movies just almost never stick with me. Yeah. Well, because I mean, yeah. they're not supposed to. Right. <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be boring at times. Yeah. You know? They're yeah. supposed to be, yeah. Or else they wouldn't feel authentic. You mm-hmm. know? And that's yeah. why. They are easy to move on from. Because you're yeah. like, oh, it's just life. You know? Um, but it's someone else's life, and I appreciate that I saw it, but it's uh, easy to, like, move on from that. I don't even know if I know any of their parents' names or anything like that. Not that I was looking out for it, but you know what I mean? Like, other than those three, like, characters, I guess I could, like, name a few other characters, but mm. really. And then tomorrow it'll be gone. Yeah. <laughs> After <laughs> the purge. <laughs> I thought the, uh, the two big movie critiquing sites was a good example of what they mean. I think the movie's got like a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is appropriate. Like 97% of people that watch the movie will probably like it. It's easy to like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think on Metacritic it was at like 84%. It's like, that's a better like 
84 out of 100 ranking for the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if I had to give it, like, my personal grade, I would say, like, in the B, B-plus range, yeah. I would definitely, like, recommend it to somebody to watch. If, yeah. Like, if I knew that they were, uh, could semi-enjoy it, you know, like, I would be like, yeah, you're gonna enjoy this one. Right. Hard not to enjoy, I think. Yeah. But it was, uh, definitely good. It was, like, there were several things that, like, made me, like, really, like, sort of prick up my ears or, you know, open my eyes and, like, watch or pay attention at first, like, the fact that they, like, they were so androgynous mm-hmm. from the very get-go, and I'm like, oh, okay, it took me a second to be like, okay, they're girls, um, yeah, like, I was like, okay, am I, am I just, is it the age they are, or the haircuts, or the combination of both, you know, like, is everyone calling them girls to make fun of them, or, yeah, like, when I, when I, uh, assigned it as homework, I think I signed it as, like, it's a girl, you know, girls in a punk band. I looked at the, like, I pulled it up on Netflix. I was like, oh, are they not girls? <laughs> I felt bad yeah, for it a took second. me a minute to, like, realize that, you know, not that, I, I mean, I got it, that they were girls. We're taking, not really taking it back, but I was just like, they look so androgynous, you know? Like, they look like boys and girls at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's an so interesting part of that movie, but. Yeah. And they comment on it, too. Like, part of, part of also the sexism of the, you know, the uh, mentors at the youth center when they're getting ready for Santa Rock is to say they're in the bathroom and the only thing they could be doing is like, you need to stop putting on makeup. And it's like, we don't wear makeup. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> yeah, idiot. Yep. <laughs> Fucking yep. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. So, um, maybe not the best, but we are the good. Yeah. <laughs> I it's, liked it. I would, we on the above average. It's kind of like uh, there were certain parts that made you like at least like think about identity and adolescence, and they they didn't have the roughest lives, but still like I mean we all remember like being that age is sort of rough, you know, like yeah. not knowing who you are and not being an adult yet. It reminded like, me of being a kid and figuring out like what am I gonna be. Yeah, and I think it it captured that. It didn't have, like, a whole ton of intimate moments, but it had, like, enough, you know, like, her spitting, like, into the mirror, you know, because she just hates the way she looks, whatever it was, you know, just, it had a few of those, but... Yeah, may not be intimate, but it felt true. Yeah. I would love to see the Wet Hot American Summer ten years later with this band. (laughs) (laughs) They could make it. They could call it We Are Still the Best. (laughs) I can now, uh rank my top three Swedish movies of all time because I've seen three now. <laughs> so that's fun. It'd, pro- it'd probably be third. Uh, Dragon Tattoo would let the right one in. I think those are both better than this. But Wait, what they're was, all good. What was the second one? Mainly because let, let the, the right, right one, one in. in. Oh, gotcha. Because uh, people don't recommend bad Swedish movies to me that often. <laughs> so, at the point where they're recommending a Swedish movie, it's probably a good one. Yeah. Just see the Swedish movie. It's alright. <laughs> I think Chris is the one who recommended let the right one in to me and I was like, Ten years ago, so no. good, it's so, so good. good, so much, so much better. Well, I mean, it does different this, things than the American. Yeah. I thought this is a, almost the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> like they just made an American version. <laughs> like yeah, there's school. another, there's another foreign movie I've recently that's done that where I watched the American version. I was like, damn it, it's just the same movie. I mean, I guess don't <laughs> mess with something that's good. Damn it. The the sorry, let the right one in the foreign one that is more like laugh out loud moments. I think. Yeah. The pool scene is funny in the foreground. See, see that. See, for, for me, the big difference, and it felt big at the time. Maybe I need to rewatch both or either. Was let the right one in felt like a almost like a 
dark comedy, yeah. like, kind of like a episode out of a sitcom about like, uh oh, I'm a vampire girl living in Sweden. Right. Like, how do I get by? Whereas the American one had like it attempted elements of genuine horror, yeah. and it was more about the father keeping his daughter safe, and that felt unnecessary with what the story the Swedish one was trying to tell. Yeah, the Swedish one, the pool scene. Y'all remember that? Yeah. The legs just like flailing underwater, going mm-hmm. back and forth. It was so damn funny. It's so so like dry too. Mm-hmm. It's also got like horrifying moments though, which he oh, yeah. which he enters the apartment without being invited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, starts, like crying blood. Fucking horrifying. Yeah, or it's like like seizing and yeah. stuff. Or when the dad is 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 replacing the blood bags out in the woods. God. Yeah, it's just like it's like the first scene. Dude. Yeah, fucking But yeah, so we are the best. We recommend watching Let the Right One In. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good segue. We're going to recommend moving on to the next topic, which is our main topic, which we are going to classify as movies about music that are not musicals. And focus on. <laughs> we're really trying to slice this up, focusing on like starting, starting up. A light focus. Light focus. I like focus too. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about music movies, or movies with uh, you know young bands trying to make it. I actually don't know what the topic is. So <laughs> I, could, I could pretend to, to well, eat, eat your job. line, but I don't really know it. I just really shouldn't work So less chair. like biopics and more like, you know, bands like well, starting we, up or fictional bands or we, whatever. We could talk Walk the Line, but I feel like that's a little yeah, that's, yeah. more about. Yeah, I think less less the Rays and the, the Walk the Lines and more. We can talk about referencing it earlier, like Sing Street's perfect example or really any of the John Carney trilogy. Once is the same way and Begin Again focuses on the same thing as well. First one that jumps into my mind is one of my favorite movies. And as the biggest fan of rewatch, God, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, but uh, that thing you do, you have to put a number on it. Probably, <laughs> if Ferris Bueller was seven hundred, yeah, seven hundred. There, there will one day be a super fan who will figure out how many hours you spent rewatching movies. Uh, I'd probably guess like ten to fifteen, you know, like twelve times for that thing you do. Okay, super fun. And yeah, when I was the age when it came out, I was super excited that Tom Hanks like insisted they learn how to play their instruments. Mm-hmm. That they're all playing. Um, also, the drummers tie into La La Land, I think, is hilarious. <laughs> so, that made me think of that thing you do again. <laughs> Isn't the same character? I mean, I think he kind of has to be. I mean, it's a drummer who, like, is obsessed with jazz. And that's who she finds. And he's like, hey, it's a jazz club. Let's go to the jazz club. Then, is he a drummer in the movie? And that thing you do, he is. No, I mean, in uh, La La Land. I mean, if he's the same character, he's a drummer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. There's, there's not exactly clues. He's just the same guy. Yeah, it's just a guy in a movie about, like... You know, with a jazz And he's club. just like, eh, there's a jazz club. Like, why the fuck else would she cast Tom Everett Scott? Why would that, why right. would that be a thing? I feel like that was done at least for people to think about. Hmm? But, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that means in the... Uh, yeah, you don't really see Tom Everett Scott a lot yeah. nowadays, so it was kind of a put him back into a jazz club yeah. moment. I think he was in the new <laughs> Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie. Oh, this pre- okay. Previews of- so jazz, he's working. Is he a jazz drummer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So T.E. Scott's working. Okay. <laughs> he's wearing shades the whole time. T.E. Scott. Because he is I've seen uh, That Thing You Do a lot, too. I've, it's <laughs> so, a so definitely a go-to movie. Yeah. And you can just pick it up anywhere once you've seen it and enjoy it uh, from where you are till the end. I, I would choose to skip the first 20 minutes every time. The, like... 
we're a brand new band trying to make it out of our small town like that like yeah, let's get past. Let's let's get yeah, past. See, I like that part when they're the O'Neaters and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, the first the talent show is great. That's where it kicks off. Yeah, there's the moment where they Screw hear this ballad. Yeah, where they hear themselves down. on the radio. Yeah, that's um, great. It's it's great. I mean, it's a little over the top. You know, they draw that moment out, but mm-hmm. it is like that's what it's all about. You know, when you're in a band, as you finally hear yourself on the radio. Uh, that's a moment, you know, and I think they like captured that in that movie. That is, you know, a great moment for them. It's, um, pet, I guess, pet project of Tom Hanks, and he really did it well. Yeah, it's um, kind of this like a, a neat little story about a band that like made it big on a one hit wonder, and then they couldn't hold it together, which is basically what's told at the end of the movie. Right. by Del Paxton is like bands never stay together and that's like the idea that everyone has that it, it never really works because when you cut down to it it's people you know mm-hmm. that are in a band and they usually don't get along or something breaks them up and this movie had a great arc you know for that story I like that thing you did yeah I love it yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at your list and I'm sure this is on there if it's not fuck yourself <laughs> Almost Famous. Yeah. I think Almost Famous has got to hit that, to t- tickle that itch when you're uh, looking for movies about music that aren't music. Mm-hmm. It's definitely um, a great movie about why people love music. Yeah. And they're almost famous. I don't have a lot to say about it. I think I've seen it once. But it was, it was the, it's the first movie on, on the list that I was thinking of other movies that are about music without, you know, really necessarily containing music within it's, um, I think we're starting a series soon of articles on the website, but of use of songs in movies. And it's got several that are amazing. Oh, yeah. I think everybody goes to Tiny Dancer on the bus is amazing. Yeah. But Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show cover the Rolling Stone when, they're, mm-hmm. when they get the news in the restaurant. is so much fun. And it's a, it's a good movie. It doesn't like... It would have been a weirder movie if it had been an origin movie of, like, the band. It, it picks them up in mid-stride. They're sort of the undercard band, the one that comes on first and opens sure. for, like, a bigger band. Yeah. And, like, they're taken to the next level. Yeah. They're about to make it big. They're almost famous, you know? Mm-hmm. And who knew it? Jimmy Fallon is their band manager to make it. I was going to say, they had <laughs> fantastic performances and, like... Bit roles. Uh, Jimmy Fallon was great. Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's my favorite role of his. I think Mark Maron famously has his one line from Almost Famous as the intro to his podcast. Yeah, lock the gates. Um, How self-serving. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel, his sister, right? Yep. Yeah, Frances uh, McDormand's great. She's mom. amazing in that movie as mom. Even like Faruza Balk is like one of the what do you call those band aids. Yeah, the Band-Aids. The groupie. Yeah. They're Band-Aids. <laughs> they go through that in the movie. <laughs> I, I need to see it again, I guess. Uh, but it's, it's almost like, you know, it's kind of a mid-stride for the band, but the, you know, the movie's about him, Cameron Crowe, and it's right. his origin thing, you know, he's a rock star journalist guy, mm-hmm. how yeah. he's starting out and finding his it's music. A, it's a, yeah, it's a great role for... Billy Crudup would be like that casting was perfect mm-hmm. like the interview at the end like he's so such a sweet guy when he has to do those scenes mm-hmm. he's really good too the movie's just incredibly casted I thought yeah. and even though um, Philip Seymour Hoffman he's playing what's the guy's name Lester Bangs Lester Bangs is telling him like you've missed it he has that scene with him where he's like you have missed the pinnacle of rock and roll you've come too late to the party he's still like it's mm-hmm. the origin for him he's like I haven't really missed anything you know to him he hasn't missed anything Cameron Crowe's character or whatever I can't remember his name either the kid um, he uh, 
you know, he's just starting out in it, you know, so it's really like his origin in the business story, mm-hmm. which it's all, so it is like kind of fits the, mm-hmm. this topic in both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Good sure. call, Chris. Right. You, really, you really nailed it. Uh, a movie I like that uh, fits this kind of nebulous category. Um, I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever seen, uh, I've been thinking about it a lot, 24 Hour Party People? I've never seen it. I've seen it, but... Yeah, it's so long ago. Same. I, I own a like blockbuster DVD of it. Nice. <laughs> and I realized that both me and my wife own a, <laughs> yeah own a DVD of Twenty Four Hour Party People <laughs> when we were like moving in together. I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve Coogan is so good as like the manager around all of the bands, um, Joy Division, New Order. You know, when after uh, Ian Curtis commits suicide and Happy Mondays and all that, Stone Roses and the British Madchester, all that scene, and it's uh, it's such a funny movie and also tragic. And it's a really great slice of all those years, but doesn't really feel like a traditional biopic does. You know, you got rise and fall, and you got pretty good performances by people being pretty famous figures in that that type of music. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's one of the first ones I thought about for this. Oh, a little more off the beaten track. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one for me that kind of like fits the category is the commitments um, from the 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 91 or so. It was like weirdly popular. I guess it's it was like a cult movie, mm-hmm. I would say, maybe at the time. Like, it's a movie for cults? I mean, it wasn't an American movie. So, you know, it had like a real limited release when it came over here. And so it kind of was a word of mouth movie. Yeah, and the soundtrack and, kind of became a phenomenon too. Yeah, like, the soundtrack was really The soul popular. music coming back. Yeah. But it's a complete origin and destruction story of a band. Um, I don't know if all of you guys have seen it, but it's definitely recommendable. It's been a while since I've seen it. Also, yeah, it's been a while. Love the performance scenes in that movie. Yeah, and like, it has its flaws, yeah, but um, some of the characters are kind of archetypes, you know, like, we have to have the girls in the band, the backup singer squabble over this or that or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it's it's really good. They don't do original music, you know, they're borrowing from Mm -hmm. American Soul, but that's the conceit of the movie, like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Jimmy Rabbit, the guy that starts the band, who has, like, no musical talent, except for he can get these people together, you know, that's his talent, even though they completely fall apart. (laughs) Is is it the same Um, rabbit from 8 Mile? No, no, (laughs) uh... But yeah, I know it is weird. But, yeah, <laughs> but uh, sorry, I know that definitely like recommendable. You know, it's a fun movie. The performances are really good mm-hmm. in it. Like the lead singer, I can't remember his name. The redheaded ponytail guy, he's yeah. great. What a voice! A great, yeah. great, Chat. great in the voice. <laughs> yeah, that guy. I think his name is Kale. <laughs> 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 TJ, do you have uh, another entry that you would want memorialized on our time capsule? Into the octagon? Yeah. yeah. One that we won't talk about a lot, because I don't think any of y'all have seen it. Like, Brent would need to be here. It's kind of on the tail end of what we're talking about. It's about bands trying to make it after they've already made it, but their heyday is gone. It's my favorite Christopher Guest mockumentary. It's uh, Mighty Wind. Have I seen that? Yeah, we'll see oh, that. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll see that. Good. I love that movie. <laughs> I love the idea of, I mean, especially the, the music idea of it, of folk being something that, like, died. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that these people were, like, A-list celebrities for two years in the 60s, and now they're them being old, fidgety men and women, yeah. not celebrities anymore, no idea what's going on. 
I love movie, that movie. Movie does a great job constructing that mythology of how they were like the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when folk had its day. <laughs> yeah. And then or the like little nooks where it's still hanging on the band that mm-hmm. keeps like reinventing itself, adding the younger members. It's uh, like, the, the new Main Street Singers. Yeah, they're, they're playing, based off of some band. I can't remember. Who uh, the new is. Christy Minstrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like playing at some like Knott's Berry Farm or something in Florida, yeah. you know, on a gazebo, <laughs> and like people aren't even really listening. They're just walking by, but they're still getting paid to do this like music that no one really listens to, kind of anymore. Do what the good book tells you to. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part of that is the album covers where. You know, Wishing his, his depression just on album covers, he's digging into so a grave. It's <laughs> so laughable. That song had a the movie had two Oscar nominations for for best song and lost to fucking Inya for Return of the King. Fucking huh. shit. <laughs> Return of the King needed that sweep dog. God damn it. Eleven for eleven. Uh, Michael McKean and his wife wrote most of the music too. Yeah, that one song, "Kiss at the End of the Rainbow" so or something. Yeah. It's just a, a really good song. Yeah, yeah. and um, and you're, that's like one of those things when you're watching a movie, you're like, "Wow, somebody wrote a really good song for this movie." Yeah, you know, um, rather than just co-opting it from like somewhere else, right? You know, mm-hmm. Putting it in. Yeah, they uh, especially I grew up with my dad like taking me to Keith's trio concerts and like folk music. Mm-hmm. And the Eat It Joe's is like that's what they fucking do. This like call and response nonsense. You know what I mean? It's just it was spot on. I thought. Yeah, that's a that's another. I haven't seen that in a while. I need to see that again. Yeah. I, I really like those mockumentaries. I'm not the yeah. biggest fan of Christopher Guest, but that's probably one of my favorite. That and Best in Show. The rest of them, I cannot abide. <laughs> the other one mockumentary. <laughs> There's only one more. Mascots. Well, I'll admit I'm not a big fan of Spinal Tap. Uh, well, that's not Christopher Guest. Yeah, that's, that's Rod, Rod Reiner. Reiner yeah. I guess they, they wrote it, though. And yeah. It's got those guys in it. Uh, I mean, all-time classic for me. It's just... Yeah, all those fun times. All those jokes just never get old. Like, who they're needling, you know, and just the pompous self-importance of rock bands, you know, and just the, the shots they take at the ridiculousness of bands like Led Zeppelin and crap that's on their rider, how they act and stuff. Uh, it's just, it never, it's funny every time. I love the, uh, but like blatantly be like, y'all let Queen get away with fat bottom girls. <laughs> like, that was another one. <laughs> oh, big bottoms? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about bun cakes. Like, you're playing with them and they're like, oh, this is so like obnoxious <laughs> and not funny. It's like, Queen did this and it worked really well. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. But yeah, I might even. I mean, nobody's seen it. I definitely recommend it. So, I mean, I think I like it more than most because of my folk music past. Mm-hmm. And you all brought up. Like you that. were born from a banjo. Yep. I want to. I want to go down my list really quickly because I don't really care about talking about a lot of these. Cool. Um, <laughs> just I'll talk about the one at the end. If I'm, you know, stepping on your toes, then stop me. I think one of them I will. I'm just gonna get out with it. Uh, the Get Down is on Netflix. It's it's fun. It's a uh, Boz Lerman's retelling of the MC movement in uh, Harlem. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a series ran to not ran. It ran for one season. It's yeah. It's all right. It's a Boz Lerman <laughs> thing. I couldn't finish the first season. Not yeah. not that it was I terrible, the first... but it just like had no momentum. Yeah, it's like a kung fu movie crossed with. Like an origin story of a hip hop group that's not that good, which makes for a weird tale to tell. But you know, if you like Boz Lerman, if you're a big fan of his Great Gatsby, then you'll like the style in it. Obviously, Sing Street. We've kind of exhausted all we can talk about Sing Street. 
Yeah. Listen back to the Oscars. We're huge fans of it. Of it. Yeah. This is one where I'll, I will probably uh, fire interjection from people, but uh, would Whiplash count in this category? Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. 100%. Yeah. I haven't seen Whiplash, so it just it just top of my mind when I was thinking about it. I was talking about movies. I was like, well, we're going to talk about Whiplash. I mean, I know I've told you this like 20 times, but see it. This is so good. Yeah, I, I was between, and I'll get to this, you know, in our, in our, I mean, we already talked about previously in the week. Right. About, uh, you know, I had a choice between watching Whiplash today and Fire in the Sky, and I chose Fire in the Sky. Yeah. Um, so I, Whiplash is, is on my radar. And then quickly, because I can't really encapsulate them in, you know, can't talk about my favorite things, anything Flight of the Concords, anything Tenacious D, I recommend I wholeheartedly. I don't care how juvenile it is. I would love for HBO to go to get, like, the whole series back. Oh yeah, for, it was so funny. Yeah, yeah I have a, a DVD of the Tenacious D, like the Masterworks, that has all their HBO stuff on it. Yeah, yeah. And it is. I watched that so many times when we were it was, growing it, up. It's that's it, it, you know you hear it in the albums, but they did really funny like sketch comedy. Yeah, the whole LSD baby. <laughs> yeah, uh, where he thinks that he's pregnant with it, or he's tripping on acid and thinks that he's pregnant because <laughs> he took EPT. His early pregnancy test. It's just... And then gives birth to a... Bu- anyway. It's like, I'm tripping balls. Like, that wasn't acid. It's EPT. And you're pregnant. <laughs> That's really good. The thing I wanted to talk about, because I, I want to recommend something that I thoroughly enjoy. The movie We Are Your Friends. Uh, do you guys know about this? This is uh, Max Joseph, the number two to the creator of Catfish movie and TV show. Nev. Neve. I feel like this is a joke. On my name. <laughs> but so Max Joseph uh, wrote and directed this story about a kid coming up through the EDM scene. Why are you looking at me like that? I feel like it's a joke about. Was this a good movie? I thought a, it was a terrible a joke movie. It's awful. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is a joke. But the reason why I watched it is something that I really enjoy. Okay. But so it's this, it's um, what uh, Emily Retchkowski yep. uh, is in it, and it's an Efron. Uh, <laughs> Nora. <laughs> <laughs> really, really kind of, kind of bad movie. Mrs. Nora Efron coming up through the EDM movement. Rest in peace. <laughs> misses all of the good story beats that you talk about when you talk about a young musician struggling mm-hmm. to kind of make it big. Um, and then just like, boom, all of a sudden he's successful and he's headlining the Summer Festival. Awful movie. Don't fucking watch it. <laughs> but there's a podcast that made me watch it called The Worst Idea of All Time. Pretty sure this podcast told you not to watch it. Well, after... What's the, what's the title of the podcast? <laughs> the Worst Idea of All Time. Yeah. So the conceit of that podcast is they watch the same movie every weekend for 52 weekends straight. And then they record a podcast like they're reviewing the movie for the first time. Um, and it's these two friends from New Zealand, and it's really funny. And the only reason why I know that they recommend that people watch it is because for the first season, they did Grown Ups 2. For the second season, they did Sex and the City 2. So by comparison, We Are Your Friends is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> because after 52 straight watchings of Grown Ups 2, and then another 52 watchings of Sex and the City 2, uh, We Are Your Friends, which has a little bit of uh, youth and vigor in it, uh, is... You know, a Scorsese. But that's something I want to throw out there. Uh, you know, there are movies that are meant to be on the bottom, and that's one of them. What else you got? Well, the other two in the John Carly, Carney trilogy, following up uh, Sing Street. I'm still a big fan of Once. Mm-hmm. It's another, like, beginning music stuff. Yeah. You know, kind of a musical, but not really. Everything's in the context of they're actually playing it. And very sweet, romantic, kind of 
bittersweet movie too. Nice. Uh, and I, li- I like Begin Again. I know we talked about it. Yeah, but I did too. I was a sucker for it. Uh, School of Rock on the Jack Black uh, tip. It's like fun. great fun music, and uh, and they're also kind of starting up and falling in love with that kind of music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, kind of more oblique, but uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Also, some great folk music in there. Some kind of crazy folk music, like the uh, the Mr. Kennedy song. <laughs> Don't send me into outer space. <laughs> yeah, with Adam Driver. Like, but that that's. Uh, the movies. I think about that movie a lot. I think I need to watch it again. It's, it's a, such a little Rube Goldberg device. Yeah, it's definitely the same vein of "We Are the Best" too, where like the music's just like a vessel to tell the story of this mm-hmm. asshole. Like, I loved how that movie ended, where it's like, oh, he's not going to improve, he's just a dick. He's <laughs> just a bad dude. One of my favorite movies for probably the last mm-hmm. five years or so. I just randomly saw that on a whim, and was just walked out of the theater and was like, what the heck did I just see that was really good? Mm-hmm. But it was such a good movie about, like, the whole story about his partner passing away and moving on from that and trying to find his voice. And then the dying sort of of the the transition of like the Greenwich Village folk scene to this whole where it was going, you know, and him going and meeting with going to Chicago. F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, meeting with F. Murray Abraham. And like right out of his mouth, he's like, yeah, you're not, you should be in a duo. And it's like, dope. Um, But it's such a great movie. That scene where he sings to his dad is incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just touching so talking about Louis, Inside Louis Davis made me think about a movie that just like evaporated from my mind uh, is Crazy Heart oh, anyone think good. of that yeah I didn't that's, think that's I mean I if, if we're talking about movies that you know are kind of forgettable but still good I, I would put Crazy Heart there yeah it was good also yeah. one of my top movies the last 10 years just I'm a big Jeff Bridges fan and yeah. it's like Jeff Bridges at his greatest, playing a tortured soul, you know, in some way. And then he used that voice and acting for, like, those next ten yeah. roles. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, Everyone's like, can you do that thing you did in Crazy Heart? Burn, burn, like, burn. Turn it up a notch. Is <laughs> um, that like Jeff Bridges doing Andy Bernard for the office? Rip, dip, That was a great movie for, like, the art of, like, crafting a song. Because in the background of that movie, like, that thread of the story of he's writing that song and you're he's just like picking it out like in various spots throughout the movie and you don't can't really tell what he's doing you're like oh he's just like noodling on the guitar great but he's like working out that song the whole time and he's, he's actually like writing it so he's going through the process of like writing it and then it comes to fruition in the end and like then Maggie Gyllenhaal like she realizes like you were writing that song the whole time it's just that's a really good like thread of story in the background that you don't really know is there but the director or the writer or Jeff Bridges don't don't really like draw your attention to it right you know you're just like oh he's just a country singer that's that's um, plucking on the guitar right also a great movie for like the songs that they wrote that were in that movie is hit oh, funny really? how falling feels like flying for a little while but what a line you well know? yeah T-Bone Burnett did all the music for that it's a pretty, yeah. pretty good get if you're going to yeah. do a music movie yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry, crazy hard great movie yeah I jumped your list David. well I only had uh, one more I wanted to talk about but was uh, Frank yeah, yeah. really idiosyncratic uh, Lenny Abrams movie with yeah. sort of Michael Fassbender in it <laughs> under a paper mache head yeah. it's you just 
gotta see it. And the the parts I actually like the most are the recording sessions. I'm when they go to the like in the cabin. Yeah, when they're in the yeah. cabin recording all the songs. I'm a sucker for. I won't list like a whole bunch of music documentaries, but I love. Uh, music footage in the studio like finding the song and stuff I think it does a good job of, of that yeah. it's also the reason why I don't think Love and Mercy is that great a movie you know another movie but the recording session stuff is really cool with young Brian Wilson in it can't remember who the female lead was in uh, Frank huh. Dumont Gleason. <laughs> I want to say it was Eddie Redmond. like Zoe Deschanel or oh it's Maggie Gyllenhaal yes it is Maggie Gyllenhaal <laughs> Jesus okay. and Maggie Mag- Gigglebabies <laughs> Max Jigs. <laughs> yeah, but that, that may be so weird. Yeah. But I like, uh, yeah, the recording sessions out in the woods are really out there, surreal, and really fun. So hard to watch when they get to Austin, though. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that part's rough. Up yeah. until that, you have the magic of, like, the magic is all creating the songs and being with fellow creators and stuff. And uh, Donald Gleason is kind of like, you know, fly on the wall. He's kind of... You know, like a parasite kind of picked on them. Maybe not a parasite, but like a barnacle. He's kind of along for the ride. Yeah. He just has this little, like, keyboard stuff that he contributes here and there. And I won't say too much more about the arc of those characters, but really interesting movie. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. If you're a movie lover. I guess a couple for me that we haven't touched on that are super recommendable American classics at this point about music. First one's like Bound, uh, Bound for Glory. Um, uh, the Hal Lashby movie from 76 about Woody Guthrie. It's a really good movie. David Carradine's uh, Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I haven't seen it. I haven't either. Yeah. It's um, basically like tells the story of what motivated him to like write the songs that he did you know so it's a good movie in like that sense his connection with like the dust bowlers and like that era in american history and stuff and also it's good trivia for that movie too it's the first movie that they used a steadicam which is like if you ask somebody the first movie they used a steadicam would you pick bound for glory no weird I picked yeah. <laughs> but it was up for like multiple Oscars I think it won like cinematography maybe original score or something like that but um a really good movie um the other one I watched uh, just a couple of months ago Tender Mercies is mm-hmm. and it immediately went into one of my all time favorite lists it was just a really great movie uh, it's so weird it's it's made by an Australian director Bruce Beresford but it's a very like American movie like I don't know how to capturing not really Americana but just sort of a cinema verite like you know mm-hmm. it just feels very American but maybe it's because it's about country music and it's got Robert Duvall in it you know mm-hmm. one of America's all time greatest actors but really good and recommendable and was completely unlike what I thought it was going to be tone and quietness and things like that. So, mm-hmm. Robert Duvall is just absolutely fantastic and completely deserved the Oscar he won for that. So, hey, cool. T, you got any, uh, got, got any need to mentions? Got any residuals? Your head? I think I do. Really? No cover to boatload. Did you want to talk about Selena? Oh, I know Ooh. I know what you want to talk about. Pootie Tang. Pootie Tang. <laughs> It's another movie where the music is really ancillary to the story they're telling. Nobody brought up 8 Mile. So I made a joke about it. Well, I just watched that again recently. It was so good. I've never seen it. The end. That's a good movie. <laughs> it's, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, you know, it's just a the traditional biopic, not biopic, but the traditional music trope just in like Detroit. And yeah. Rap. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like it got a lot of heat. I feel like you, you told me everything I already knew about that movie. <laughs> well, 
TJ, you have to. Takes place in the Bahamas. I will say this. And it's like, pretty good. Eminem's range as an actor is very limited, but what he does in his range in that movie, he's pretty good at it. Yeah. He, he loves his daughter. He's like, nervous about rapping, then he's good at it, and he yeah. hates his wife. Like, staring at it's you with, like, droopy eyes, you know, from, like, underneath his eyebrows. He's good at that. Um, <laughs> you know, with weak knees, sweaty palms, mom's spaghetti. spaghetti. <laughs> I mean, the cut battle at the end is so great, you know, that he turns the tables on Papa Doc and calls him out for being... It turns it into a class war rather than a race war, you know. It's it's clever. We should start a, a regular segment called Whatever Happened to Mackay Pfeiffer? <laughs> <laughs> Where we actually talk about what Michelle Pfeiffer's doing. Yeah, since Brendan <laughs> Fraser is on the up and up. Yeah. yeah. We helped his career. <laughs> Let's focus our attention on Mackay. Take full credit for that. Well, I thought there was no Mackay Pfeiffer. <laughs> it's for, all... For the Lose Yourself lyrics. Yeah. No, I follow. Yeah. I, that's, I think we covered every one of them. Those, are, did, all, those are all the movies about bands. <laughs> yep. There are no others. Yeah. That's it. That's your exhaustive list. <laughs> so that does it except for... Assigning new homework. Yeah, it's Brent's turn. Hello. So I'm going to steal. Yep. And I'm going to sign a movie that I haven't seen in about two years, but I've seen it many times. <laughs> it's my favorite comedy of all time. Jurassic Park. And I just want to talk about it. Young Frankenstein is oh, my for this week. I don't think I've ever seen that all the way through. I think that just hit Netflix too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I feel like people are, are always fonder on Blazing Saddles. Uh, Blazing Saddles is, is very damn good. Both came out the same year, right? Uh, there's some other there's two Mel Brooks in the same year I can't remember what they it's are close. it's close Young Frankenstein's way later than you would think oh okay I mean which makes sense of Blazing Saddles so I'm saying okay. it's filmed in black and white and to look old but it's also oh, when there. I was young when we watched that I had like a mad crush on Terry Dark yeah. oh, so sexy dad. yeah yeah. and I thought Cloris Leachin was hilarious oh yeah well, I've been, my dad made me listen to Car Talk every weekend growing up. So when I finally watched it, I was like, oh, that's the horse thing. Like, I get yeah, it now. Yeah. There's so many good people in that. Cloris Leachman is just great. Madeline Kahn is her timing. Well, let's not all blow our load now. we got to talk about it next week. Yeah. So we'll save some up. Man, I'm jealous. Thanks, Al. That was fun. Yeah, appreciate yeah. going on. It was a lot of fun having you yeah. as a special guest. Yeah. We do miss Brent. Hello. But it was a lot of fun having Brent who? <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Yep. No, totally a fan. I'm glad, uh, honored to be here. I'm really psyched about doing this. Appreciate it. Honor. Dave, you're losing control of this podcast. Yeah. There's a moment where we thank people. So this is time to end it. This was Talk Me Talk, a podcast with the Media By Us. Please visit the site and see our stuff. Connect with us on Twitter at the Media By Us. Email the Media By Us at gmail.com. Facebook groups, Movies By Us, TV By Us, Games By Us. We'd love to hear from you for any podcast topics. There's maybe five people that listen to this part, and you guys are not one of them. <laughs> yeah, please give us a rating, any rating you deem fair. <laughs> After Chris's ethics talk last week, <laughs> I don't think we're allowed to just demand five star ratings for cash. Uh, it also helps us for uh, cash. Oh, okay. oh, that changed the game. <laughs> um, so yeah, all that stuff. I want to say thanks again to the Blue Walkers for providing the intro music. We always get a kick out of it. And thanks for being the show notes for the outro music. I don't have it yet. So, big old thanks to Chris. Thanks. We recorded this in my music group. So, apropos. Oh, this is apropos. Thank, big thanks to TJ. Big thanks to Al. Yep. Thanks, Al. And my name is David.
It's Tom Everett Scott. Looking for work. I don't want to be a darn wimpy kid three. Help.